Some of these stories are a combination of a few visits to Byron. Because they ended up there quite a few times. It's got a real magnet. Okay, we're flying and tripping and rolling and paddling. This is called 1,000 Feet. I stood behind Joe, a man I'd known for less than an hour. Okay, on three, run and jump. It was windy and the last bloke took off toward the clouds like the gods had sucked him up through a straw. We ran along the wooden ramp and jumped off the end. I anticipated the ground beneath us, but we were leaving it behind. Joe circled the takeoff ramp, casting a triangle of shadow over the trees. The people who squinted against the sun were getting smaller. We rose on the thermals and glided out over the headland beside Tallow's Beach. See the sharks? Joe asked. I could. They followed the surfers onto the waves and backed off at the very last second. The surfers were oblivious. Those are nurse sharks. They don't eat humans. They look like they could, though. Those two out the back, bronze whalers. Yeah, they can eat you. A few years ago, a bloke bled to death down there after a bronze whaler mauled his leg. Tallow's beach could be dangerous, especially in the season that Jewfish ran in the shallows between the lighthouse and Broken Head. Sharks go after the Jewfish and sometimes in the murky water a foot looks like a fish. Joe told me he used to surf, but now he couldn't bring himself to go in. He said it was worse before the abattoir closed down in the 80s. Fifty or more fins might be breaking the surface as a pack of sharks cruise past on their way to the abattoir exhaust pipe where the water ran red. The ultimate bleeped, we went higher and higher. I watched a car sneaking up the road to the lighthouse. Everything made sense up here, a full-scale map to exact proportions. How high do you want to go up? It's probably more like this. How high do you want to go up? Guess this is a bit windy. It didn't really matter. It was a cliff at the bottom that would kill us, not the space in between. We reached 1,000 feet. Joe let go of the bar. Okay, Rich, take over. What? I'd been holding Joe's shoulder and I didn't want to let go. Between the bar and me, 1,000 feet and nothing but fresh air. I slowly reached forward and grabbed the bar. And I was flying. I pushed the bar right and we banked left, pulled the bar back and we went into a gentle dive. So Joe swooped down past a Bremeny kite. Shapes became people and all too soon the, bo the, the boobs. The boobs were moving fast beneath our feet. The beach was moving fast beneath our feet. Joe swooped down past a Bremeny kite. Shapes became people, and all too soon the beach was moving fast beneath our feet. Gold tops. This rock was big and flat, but still the four of us struggled to stay on it. Headlights swung across the wrecked car park and illuminated bare asses in the surf. 
they're stopping and starting as the waves broke on them, ran like frames of an early black and white film. It's just like, <laughs> it's like this big line of bare bums. And as the waves slapped through them, it was like a frame. It's going, ch, ch, ch. It's like Harold Lloyd or something. Um, Lou was in pain from laughing. Humans are strange creatures, no doubt. But on gold tops, everything is exaggerated. People drove, drove and scurried around in what appeared to be a continuous ant-like cycle. They all seemed to have somewhere really important to go. But where was this urgent place? And why were they going there? Burns ringlets in his hair spiraled down to the ground. Flecks of pink and jade ran through them. His teeth had an luminous green tint when he laughed. They seemed to be glued together with saliva. <laughs> Magic mushrooms seemed to grow the whole world round. They grew in Yorkshire, in the damp, well-manured fields. When we were teenagers, we'd sometimes go on a journey, on a cheap night out. In fact, I'd never been further out than those nights. Laid up against a dry stone wall with my mates talking about things that were important back then. Getting slightly cosmic and wondering if we'd be virgins forever. Time seemed to move slower. We hoped that the lights down in the valley were shimmering because it was light and the earth was cooling down. And we were straight enough for an encounter with our parents before sneaking off to bed. Paranoia was deep back then. This was the first time Lou had ever altered her mind with drugs. It wasn't the start of something. She looked on it more like as research. A quick look through the colour-shifting kaleidoscope. She was inside a tripper's mind. See what was inside a tripper's mind. See what was inside her own. Lou saw everything as if she was a newborn. She started to notice the Byron artwork with an unmistakable hallucinogenic influence. The world was spectacular, mad, illogical, beautiful, ridiculous, funny and scary. She felt as if everyone on the outside could only see the silver surface of the ocean and we were underneath amongst the corals. It's like we're under corals. <laughs> Straight after the rain and early before the sun shriveled them, a gang of us had cycled inland looking for cows. Well, more importantly, the stuff they left behind. This was where the gold tops grew. We snuck around the farmer's fields. Be very careful going around looking for gold tops. My 55-year-old uh, self is telling everyone. Because, um, I don't know, we just relied off someone else who said, yeah, just open them up, and if they look blue, that's all the um, hallucinogenics and the gold on top, and da-da-da. Uh, but... Yeah, people die from eating mushrooms, so... Exercise caution. In fact, I don't advocate it. Um, that night in the jungle kitchen, the smell of boiled mushrooms was overpowering. A queue of eager beaker and cup in travellers formed. Some guys were tripping already, and when a large carpet snake slithered down from the roof to snap a rat from the kitchen... They ran off screaming. Carpet snakes are beautiful without any mind-altering drugs. 
Can't imagine what they were seeing. After the steaming portion had gone down, there was no turning back. The churning warm sensation run through your stomach. Senses sharpen. Things feel a bit odd. Pupils dilate to the size of Smarties, and normality is a distant memory. You've got to be in the right frame of mind, though, to enjoy the ride. People do crack up from taking mushrooms. If they overdo it or freak themselves out. You can go through too many doors. We'll probably get there in a minute, but some people just either have too many regular trips. For me, it was just a handful of trips. I know I've said in the past that I'm not an avid drug taker. and So if I just give you the full disclosure, it's probably like five pills stoned about 30 or 40 times, maybe 30, and mushrooms about 10 times. Uh, drinking alcohol and killing my guts hundreds of times. But now I've stopped drinking for a while, so uh, let's see how that works. I now walk out in the morning and just taste the dew off the grass and leaves. Uh, coffee now. It's just <laughs> queue up for coffee every morning. The eager coffee revelers queued out with their beakers and cups, waiting for the potion to jack them alive. It's like calling the NRMA or the AA. Yeah, can you come round and give us a coffee, mate? I just can't start this morning. <laughs> this, you have to be happy and honest with yourself. This is a truth trip. It can turn up all your fears and worries that you might be subconsciously harboring. Rhonda, who had been trying to stay on the big flat rock, had a really bad trip once. For months afterwards, she had vivid flashbacks, hallucinations that could occur anywhere or any time. She told us one time she was in this library in the middle of a sunny afternoon. She opened a book and this grotesque arm reached out from the pages. I was happy sitting on our rock. It was in shadows and we were inconspicuous. Outside of our little rock seemed a dangerous place. Besides, movement required the muscles in my legs to work and mine felt all soft and jelly-like. But when Rhonda and Byrne stood up to go on a mission, the rock seemed to lose its homeliness. The unit of security and understanding was on the move. The all-knowing mass moved forward through Byron. On the green opposite the fish and chip shop, we stopped to watch a woman twirling fire sticks. Some old earthman, matted in dreads, was leant over a drum, and her whole beans vibrated when he struck the goat skin. The woman mesmerized us, a body held prisoner in a circle of light and flame. Jay was in the crowd. He told me that the fish and chip shop was a portal for aliens and the chip shop owner was in on it. <laughs> I don't know if Jay was even tripping, he just seemed to tune in. The aliens were integrated into Byron society and wandering around in human form. Hadn't I noticed all the odd people hanging around? <laughs> oh man. The Cocomangas nightclub was playing some funky tunes when we walked past. Lou thought she wanted to dance, but when confronted by the aggressive energy on the dance floor, we retreated to a quiet corner. 
A wise tripper knows to steer clear of confrontations with straight people. Drunken people are even worse. Big, slobbering, gate-pissing morons from another planet sent here to freak you out. People gather in their little groups, their insecurities and habits telegraphed out of them. A muscle-bound bloke stood at the bar. It seemed every action required all his muscle flex. When he took a drink of his pint, he looked down at his biceps. And he walked as though he was holding a dollar coin between his ass cheeks. <laughs> That's an old one. Uh, muscle saw us laughing in our tight little group and didn't like it. The more we tried to ignore him, the more he seemed to look at us. Were we laughing at him? No, no, mate. No, we're just chilling, bro. Just... We got out while we could, breaking free into the street. At the bakery, pie and cake smells wafted out through the ingeniously positioned extractor fans. The assistant seemed to know we were tripping. The more I thought about it, the harder it was to keep a straight face. A bright fluorescent light behind us shone so soberly into our faces. I could do this. I could buy a custard tart. Just like that. Give her, beer. Give her the money. I've got money. Or maybe an apple pie. Oh, hang on. Maybe one of those psychedelic blue and lime green fairy cakes that keep wobbling around. Oh, the, uh, we lost it. Broke down in cheek-aching hysterical laughter. I could see the assistant through the tears. She was about to serve someone else, and then we'd never get food. I had to make up my mind. Custard apple, custard cake. I went through the taste in my mind. What I wanted, what, what I really wanted, not just what you pick quickly, because that's, uh, that's what happens in the fast world. I ended up buying the whole lot. <laughs> it cut down on the choices. Um... Back in the street, we avoided the stares from people. Would they know? Of course they would. What about the police? Oh, no. What about my dad? Oh, he'll kill me. No, he wouldn't. Dad's cool. Yeah, dad's cool. What about the food? Someone might try and steal it. Better hide it. Whew. On the beach, people sat in their anonymous little groups enjoying the night. The orange glow of a cigarette and the flash of a lighter. I thought I could hear my name being spoken. No, could I? What was my name? A shadow from another group approached ours. Friend or foe? I said. <laughs> and a guy peering through the darkness at me. Rich, is that you? It was Paul, this guy from Grimsby, and fellow early morning mushroom picker. They're bloody brilliant, aren't they, Rich? He started to jog around. I've got to run somewhere. I feel like running or something. I'll come back. Whew. He shot off down the beach and disappeared. His legs flying at a rate of knots. Some people wanted to break out, run, be energetic. Some needed company and security. Some wanted to think in their little space. A girl flitted around asking if we'd seen so-and-so and if we knew where, whose it was. I was always looking for someone, always chasing after the action. Where's the party? Where is it? Where are you going? It's all right here, I smiled and got lost again. A mushroom, hallucinogenic, 28 years of age. Was I insane to do this? Play with my mind, open one too many doors, lose a key and get locked out. 
I don't know. A guy called Lenny from the jungle had gotten himself a bumper harvest and tripped excessively. He almost drowned, forgetting he needed oxygen as he lay on the seabed, staring up through the ocean at the moon. <laughs> That's one serious trip, man. Um, you're probably like talking to the great whites. Dude, your teeth are so sharp, bro. Look, hey, wanna be friends? Let's go up to the bakery and get some food. Um, when Lenny's friend went inside his tent to try and talk him round, Lenny covered his imaginary breasts and told him to get out. What were they doing? And to respect a girl's privacy. Yeah, the guy had gone, like, onto the other side. He actually set his tent on fire, too. He lit some candles at his doorway, staring into the flames, and then the flaps on the tent, the wind blew it onto the candle, and the whole tent went up. All the front. <laughs> he was all right, but, jeez, close one. Um, to me, a trip was like a stick in my spokes. Made me stop and think what I was actually doing, where I was really going in my life. I didn't want a mad hallucinogenic trip with walking trees and electric bananas. I definitely didn't want imaginary breasts. I stood on the shore on my own. My friends lay behind just faint voices. The sensation of sand between my toes felt great. Wind blew over my face and whistled across my ears. The lighthouse beam carried a column of mist back and forth across the sky. The small waves rolled up the beach and permeated through the sand. And you could hear it just trickling through. <laughs> I followed the track from the lighthouse. The light, the waves, everything seemed rhythmic, keeping time. I was deeply spaced by now. But this is where I needed to be. This was what made me happy living here by this ever-changing ocean, restless and full of life like myself. I looked around for my friends. I couldn't see them. Had they gone? How long had I been studying? Ten minutes? An hour? Two hours? It was quiet. The spot where I thought I'd left them talking was empty. I'd lost my bearings and my time perception. Paul emerged out of the darkness covered in sand and wet from the sea. Look, Rich, I found a dog. I was like... Hey, look, Rich, I found a dog. She's great. What shall we call her? A storm was out to sea. Lightning bolts forked across the sky and rumbled. The poor border collie lay between us, brushing against our legs. We fussed over her. She was a beautiful dog. Paul and I talked about our lives in broad northern accents, as if we were neighbours talking over our fences about lawnmowers and cabbages. And Paul's passed away now, and his brother Daz was with us that night. And I just want to say, it was a pleasure to meet you, man, and uh, see you again on the other side, bro. Peace out, man. I needed water. My br mouth felt like a bear's armpit. There was a shower up on the path under bright orange streetlights. I knew it was a long way, 40 metres, but I was sure I could make it. But I got lost in the dark and found myself caught in a small jungle. What was in here? Spiders? A snake? 
I stood still waiting for the storm to flash and light my way. When I reached the road, Paul's brother Daz was already up there, bathing gracefully under the shower. <laughs> it's like, they were seasoned trippers, them two. And um, the showers, they have like this timber L-shaped wall behind it. And um, the shower head's coming down. And Daz is like gracefully washing his leg. And he goes, do you like my bathroom? <laughs> And then we weren't in the street anymore. We're, it's like it was in this luxurious bathroom somewhere. It's sweet. But when I turned around, passers-by whispered and looked at us strangely. People pushing prams, kids riding bikes. I ran my face under the shower and filled the water bottle, appreciating the valuable liquid. The walk back to camp probably took hours. Actually... <laughs> When I finally made it back to the beach and uh, I had this water and I gave it to them, my fellow travellers, they were all like, you're a legend, Rich. Legend. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. The walk back to camp probably took hours. There were more stars in the sky than ever before. Satellites and space dust burnt out on the edge of our atmosphere. We lay on a grass verge by the arts factory entrance. The occasional car drove by and disappeared into a funnel of trees. We spoke in soft voices that matched the stillness of the night. We were coming down. A rustle in my pocket. Bonus. I found the cakes. Wow. After telling those mushroom stories... It's like it releases some endorphins or something. It's like you unlock these doors that you can't open when you're straight. Um, but again, I think it's something that if you do too many times, you're just going to nail yourself. Um, it's obvious dangers. You need friends around you, people you can trust, a safe space. Yeah. Just going to add this one in, so um, I ain't got a mic, but you can probably hear the kids screaming. <laughs> Our neighbour's kids, they're loving it. Um, and so, uh, I just want to add this. That when, I forgot to mention about sharks, that, yeah, when Dickie um, came out to see us one time, I, was, I took him surfing and... Uh, Swell wasn't big, so we jumped off the rocks, which is a bit tricky when you haven't done it before. And um hurts your feet because your feet aren't tough. And there was dolphins out the back, so I said, come on, man, we'll be straight there at the dolphins, no, going through the white water. And then this guy paddled in and said, hey, did you guys see that 12-foot tiger shark here yesterday? <laughs> Dickie's like, you'll be fine, mate. That was yesterday. That was yesterday. This is today. Anyone with arachnophobia wouldn't last long in the jungle. Huntsmen and wolf spiders were all around with their big fangs and furry bodies appearing over the arms of a chair or under the flap of a tent. It was second nature to check your shoes before stepping into them. The worst, like, after a while you get used to where the really bad spiders are, like, um, Funnel webs, they kind of like damper 
places and like rock ledges where they can hide in the ledges. And um, it's pretty ironic because my son-in-law got bit by one in our front room when he slept over one night. And uh, <laughs> I go bush all the time and I'm digging up spiders left, right and center. Poor bugger got bit in the middle of the night to take him to hospital. It's pretty terrible. Um, lucky he was cool. He was fine. Because the funnel webs up the mid north coast aren't as toxic as the Sydney ones. The Sydney funnel webs are the worst. And the male ones carry more toxin than the females because they go wandering. When they're looking for a mate, they wander off. And that's normally when you get bit. They're prehistoric. And the uh, huntsmen and all those spiders, they're more of a hybrid. And then the other one that was pretty bad was the redback, which can kill you. Um, they look like a black widow with a red stripe down the back. But they're like the heat. They're like the backs of garage doors and stuff like that. You just get, you just get used to knowing what to look for. And, um, yeah, pretty safe most of the time. It's like crossing a road. If you don't know the rules, look out. <laughs> Australians took great delight in scaring travellers with horror stories about their spiders. I'd made it three quarters of the way around Australia before I was actually bitten. I was in Harvey Bay, about to head out to Fraser Island. I'd gotten up early and went for a shower, took off my shorts and hung them up. But when I put them back on, I felt a sharp pain in my backside. I yanked them back down and a big spider crawled out. Looked like a black widow. I'd had nothing to eat. I started to feel dizzy. Fuck, was this how it's going to end for me? No build up, just ah and die? I killed the spider with my shoe and ran over to reception. I've just been bitten by this spider. Is it poisonous? The bloke at reception slowly came around to look at the spider. Stood at it for a moment. Ah, I don't think so, mate. I don't know. Where did it bite you? By now, I was feeling pretty vague. I still didn't know if I was going to die. I was getting dizzy. And the local guy didn't know if I was going to die either. I think he felt pretty useless, so he got out his Stingo spray from his first aid kit. <laughs> it wouldn't stop the venom, but at least I wouldn't be in pain when I went. <laughs> so I stood in the reception with my ass out when his mate came in. He looked at the spider and looked at me with my pants down. You'll be right, mate, he said, laughing. Bit on the arse, eh? I thought that only happened in comics. <laughs> it is pretty rare to die from a spider bite um, in Australia these days, as long as you're on with it. Um, cane toads. There's a lot of... Uh, critters in Oz, apart from all the um, feral stuff that people brought over, like, let's bring it over the fox so we can hunt it. Let's bring the rabbits and all that. And they've got like a, you might see in the film Rabbit Proof Fence, which is like a fence that's thousands of kilometers long and they've got dog fences and all sorts. Um, I'm working on a job at the moment we're putting this fence up to protect a certain native species. Um, and the cane toad, what happened was the, there was a beetle that was eating the sugar cane when they start planting out sugar cane everywhere. And um, the, 
they went, oh, we're, we need to do something to um, get rid of this beetle. So um, they, they they brought in this cane toad from uh, South America in their wisdom. And it's like a toxic toad. It's hard to kill. There's, I think there's one snake that can actually eat it and I think a crow can eat it without dying. But all the backs of these toads are bubbly and I think they're like a hallucinogenic secretions and they'll, they'll come they're invading Australia they they kill everything they're such efficient hunters and they're taking over and because nothing much can eat them it's a nightmare um, <laughs> there's a song by the cruel sea and they talk about cane toads eating dog food at midnight and it's true they come onto people's verandas and scare the dog off and start eating the food out of the bowls and one time these cane farmers they killed all the bandicoots because they thought that they were doing the damage to the sugar cane because all the, they were digging up the bases of the sugar cane, but they were actually eating the beetle larva. So they killed all these native critters and then that allowed the beetles to do more damage. So after the spider came the warty, bubbling and toxic cane turd. The cane, the cane toads couldn't reach the cane beetles and resort to eating other insects and frogs, unbalancing nature and becoming a bigger pest than the beetles. Cane toads wandered around the jungle at night time on their hunt, standing tall and round like a gravestone in the long grass, staring out through myopic eyes. There were also a few poisonous snakes slithering around. Tiger snakes, brown snakes and red-bellied blacks. Lawrence an aging hippie, caught in a time warp from the 70s, constantly wandered around Australia, and in summer he lived at the arts factory. Maybe it was because he had nothing much worth stealing, or that his mind was meandering off course, that he had neglected to close his tent door. That night, Lawrence wandered back down the path, exhausted. All he needed was sleep. He didn't have a light. He, oper he operated by the light of his spliff, the stars are a borrowed torch. He made his way through the maze of humps and apexes, ducking under and stepping over the guy ropes like they were the booby traps. He found his tent, no shoes to take off, being a hippie. He sat on the ground sheet, banged his feet together three times to knock off the dirt. Zipping the door behind him, he flopped backwards onto his bedding. As soon as his head hit his pillow, he was out like a light and would have been until the whipbird started up on sunrise, if he hadn't have felt something cold and smooth slide across his shoulder. As his pupils let in a little more light, he noticed that his leather belt was moving. In fact, his leather belt had fangs. A red-bellied black, a poisonous snake, was sharing his crib. One sort of movement, and those fangs might stick in his arm and pump out some poison. He hid inside his sleeping bag and screamed for help. Meanwhile, the snake was trying to find a way out and wriggling back and forth around him all over the tent. Eventually, someone unzipped the tent and Lawrence came rolling out. <laughs> uh, I saw a red belly black today, actually. They really do so, to be fair. Like, you've got to really stir them up to um, get bitten by them. Our dog jumped on one the other month come around the corner it was sat in the sun and the dog jumped on it and the snake took off one way the dog went the other so uh, 
Christmas in Byron came and went. Friends moved on, leaving only faded yellow grass where the tents had been. Like a kid running for the door of an empty school, I couldn't help getting that anxious feeling of being left behind. Lee left for New Zealand. I wrapped up a present and hid it in the bottom of his rucksack. Something to remind him of the good times. Fucking Yorkshire. He carried that big rock around for days, struggling on and off buses and pounding the streets with his backpack eating into his shoulders. <laughs> I was back in the bubble, in amongst a rush and the push of city life and killing time, waiting for Bray, who apparently was at work. A family friend was my second option of a place to crash. Dave and me were brought up together in England. I never knew why he left so long, long ago, but when I finally tracked Dave down, he told me he had to leave England because of a guy called Mark Feeder. No way, I said. I used to go to school with that guy. He stole my girlfriend when I was 11. I said, yeah, it was terrible. Um, it broke my heart. He went sledging with my girlfriend, and um, I went up on the garage roof and cried. Funny Dave said he did the same to me when I was 18, but they didn't go sledging and I put him in hospital. His dad came to help and they got beds in the same ward. That's why I had to leave. I had to come to Australia. <laughs> but Dave had always been this success story for me of escaping Yorkshire for an amazing life in Australia. Pictures would filter back via his mum of him ballroom dancing with his fine-looking Greek wife. They had their own swimming pool and a grand house. Inspired by a mental picture of myself lazing around at the pool, I made the call. Oh, Richard, yeah, my mum said you might call. Can you ring back in a few days? I'm just in the middle of a divorce. Balls. I got lost downtown, a pint of milk and some bananas. At five o'clock, I worked my way back along Burke Street toward King's Cross. The Cross, as it's known. Idling cars backing up, trying to exit the city. I counted down the house numbers until I reached number 29, Darlin House Road, deep in the middle of the red light district. I dropped my bags and knocked on the door. No answer. I rattled the letterbox. Hold on, I'm coming, I'm coming. An English girl of about 24 opened the door in, in her knickers, her eyes straining in the daylight. Um, is Brian? I asked. She took a while to register what I'd said and then she exploded. Ah, oh, you mean Brian who spewed up in my bed last night when I was on my night shift, the fucker? Um, that could be him. Me being the only male around at the time. I took Bry's bollocking for him. In the basement kitchen, she made me a cup of tea and went back to bed. The basement was dark, traveller-stained and oppressive, but the patio door opened into a backyard and the sun was shining. <laughs> 